Wednesday we have our youth rally. That's at 730. Uh, we got Brother Luke Daniels, who's from the church in Eau Claire, is going to be preaching to our youth, our hyphen, anyone who's here. <laughs> uh, just come on and enjoy that time of fellowship. We'll have activities and a meal afterwards. Uh, the meal is going to be a uh, minimum $5 donation. We'll ask for donations, but a minimum, please, of $5. Also, Saturday, this uh, Saturday is already October. October 1st, the men will have their prayer. They're also going to be discussing the book Dominion. So please be sure to read that first chapter in the book uh, so you can be prepared for that discussion. And ladies will be meeting at 10 a.m. And we're going to actually be discussing chapter one as well of our book, Notable Women of Scripture. And that'll be um, a discussion on Vashti. So then also our Tupelo Children's uh, Christmas, we always take up an offering to give those children gift cards at Christmas. And we'd like to give them $25 gift cards. So when you're donating, keep that in mind that every $25 will go towards one gift card. We want to be a blessing to those children at Christmas. Also, if you haven't already, we have cards for Brother and Sister Tolstad. If you can see Sister Rudy after church, to make sure you sign that for them. We want to get that off to them and let them know that we are praying for them and that we love them, we're thinking of them. We want to be a blessing to our missionaries as well. Hallelujah. All right, let's come and worship. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be
to glorify you, Lord. Hallelujah. None is worthy but you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I 
to glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
get there, everybody's going to be happy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There's a happy land of promise over in the great beyond, where the saved of earth shall soon the glory
Praise God. That's our hope, church. Let's worship God. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of all our praise. He's taken us home to glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. He's given us victory down here and everlasting victory there. Thank you, Jesus, for your so great salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for suffering on a cross in my place so that I can have this hope of everlasting life with you. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I do worship and I praise you. I delight myself in you today for all that you've done, all that you've done in my life. Hallelujah, Jesus. The temptations you've brought me through, the tests and trials you've seen me uh, through, that you've helped me to overcome. Hallelujah, Jesus. On my way to you, on my way home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What an awesome hope we have. That sounds like a pretty amazing place to me. Amen. What an awesome place He has gone to prepare us a place for. It's an awesome place, and you won't want to miss it. You will not want to miss it. Brother DeMuth spoke about how it feels to receive the Holy Ghost. Well, imagine that multiplied by about infinity and extended out through eternity. That's heaven. That's heaven. Here we just have we just have the earnest of our inheritance. We see through a glass darkly down here, but then face to face. And the best part about it all, like we just sung about, is seeing our Savior. Speaking with Him. Feeling the, the nail prints. Feeling His side. Hearing His voice. Being in His physical presence. What an awesome, what an awesome hope. I am so looking forward to it. Amen. Praise God. We have a lot to worship God for. We have a lot to be thankful for today. God bless all of you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I want to take a moment to, uh, I see we have a couple visitors. I don't have a card uh, on the, bring it on up here. No, sir, you're not interrupting me. I may interrupt you, but you're not going to interrupt me. Amen. All right, we have two visitors here today. We have, uh, oh boy. Linda Cabot. Okay. No, it's my eyes. It's not your handwriting. Trust me, if you saw my handwriting, you would know. And Carol, uh, Carolyn. Carol. Carol. Amen. We are so glad to have you guys. I will get a chance to meet you. I've met Carol. Amen. If you have any questions, please let one of our greeters, ushers know. I will get that answer for you just as soon as possible. You need help with anything, please let us know. And I pray that the Lord blesses you and, and, and uh, just does something awesome in your life here this morning. Amen. Praise God. All right. Uh, 
this message is going to kind of piggyback on uh, what Brother DeMuth spoke on. Uh, he, again, seemed to hit a lot of it. So this may be shorter than... We'll see. Anyway, um, Peter. We look at the Apostle Peter. And when we think of the Apostle Peter, I mean, uh, if, you have, if you're Catholic, you have a Catholic background, you will probably recognize the Apostle Peter as the first pope uh, of the, the Catholic Church. Um, I heard one preacher, I think it was Brother Jeff Arnold, he said, well, I'll, I'll go with that if you'll believe what he preached. Because uh, he preached... <laughs> He preached repentance, water baptism, Jesus' name, necessity of the Holy Ghost. Uh, so, anyway. But the Apostle Peter, uh, at, at least in the book of Acts, we see the Apostle Peter as the leader of the church. He is truly the rock at this point. And uh, he stands up on the day of Pentecost and he proclaims boldly, This is Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is your Messiah. And... Uh, Brother DeMuth read the, the whole thing about that. I'm just going to pick up some things. I debated whether or not to read the whole thing. Now I don't have to. I'm just going to pick out a few things. Amen. Acts 22, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24 says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. He's not telling them anything they don't already know. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So right away he stands up and says, This Jesus, the one you crucified, he's God. He's the Messiah. And you killed him. He was very bold at this point. He wasn't holding anything back. Acts 2, verse 32 and 33 says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. He wasn't afraid to testify to the fact that I am an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath said forth this, which ye now see and hear. Explaining the receiving of the Holy Ghost. The glossalia that they were experiencing or, or hearing in their ears. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 says, Therefore, he closes with this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Very bold, very unapologetic of his position at this point. Later on, we see him, uh, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And later on, after that, we see him... Uh, he opened, he opened the, the doors of the church to the Jews in a little bit. Acts chapter 8 to the Samaritans. Acts chapter 10 to the Gentiles. And uh, he rebuked uh, Simon the sorcerer for wanting to buy the gift of God with money. And uh, when Ananias and Sapphira were bringing uh, partial gifts to the church, saying that they had sold everything, I'm giving everything, but they weren't, uh, the apostle Peter discerned that through the Holy Ghost. And God struck him dead. Sapphira came in, did the same thing. He told her straight out, the same men that carried your husband's corpse away is going to carry yours away. <clears throat> he didn't care, you know, if they were just going to give half. Fantastic. 
But the, the problem was they lied about it. They wanted credit for giving everything. They only gave a portion. So in any case, so we see Peter. And, and if, if the, the church historians are accurate, most people agree, uh, Peter ended his life uh, crucified upside down because he uh, was not willing to be crucified the same way as the Savior was. Amen. So the Apostle Peter's ministry was an amazing ministry. God worked mightily through him in signs and wonders and miracles. And we look at the Apostle Peter and we're like, wow, man, that guy was awesome. That guy was really cool. And, and, and we could look at other people. The Apostle Paul, God used him mightily. And, and, and we look at some of these, these people in, in Scripture and how God mightily used them and spoke through them and did signs and wonders through them. And, and, but we've got to realize that they didn't start there. And in the, in the Apostle Peter's case, uh, he most certainly didn't start there. God brought him through a few situations for him to get to that place. Amen. It might be said that he failed his way to victory. He failed his way to victory. And a lot of us can feel that, uh, you know, we, we keep trying, we keep, we keep trying. Maybe we have a, this, this one sin that we're really struggling with and we just can't seem to overcome it. Uh, we got uh, a situation in our lives that, that just keeps popping up time and time again. And, and we give it to God and, and it's, it's gone for a little while and, until it's not. It comes back and... And there it is, right in, right in my face again. And i got to deal with this again. I thought I'd dealt with this already. And sometimes we can get to the place where we feel like, after so many failures, you know, there was a time in my life, uh, not so much anymore, I, I still get twinges every once in a while, but there was a time in my life where I would repent. Brother DeMuth talked about repentance. That is a daily thing. We need to be doing. We need to be laying ourselves on the altar daily, Amen. Uh, and I try to practice that. Uh, I don't always succeed, but but at least I'm aware of it and and pretty close, pretty close to every day. But when I do, and God brings things to my mind, uh, there was a time in my life where I would get a little bit despondent, and I I'd, I'd start thinking this through, you know. Um, I've been living for God X amount of years, and, and, you know, I can see the difference from where I was to where I am today, but I can also see where I, how much farther I still have to go until I, I'm Christ-like. That's a long ways off. And from where I'm at now to the place where He is, God's going to have to bring me through some things for me to get there. And I, as I was tracing that down and I, and I started looking at the process God took me from the very beginning till this present moment, all the failures, all the failed tests, all, all of the, the, the times where I said I was going to do something but never did, I told him I wasn't going to do this and I ended up doing it. Every time I failed God, all, I could think of all of that. I could re- and as I was repenting, 
I started thinking, I'm repenting, God, and I, I desperately need your mercy and your forgiveness, but I'm going to do this again. I'm going to fail you again at some point. I'm going to let you down again. And sure enough, I did. Maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy, I don't know, but, but I did. I let him down again and again and again. And every time I come to him, he keeps forgiving me and having mercy. Get back up. Get back up. Keep moving forward. And I thank God for that. And there's less of that now than there was. Thank God. But from time to time, there are still failures in our lives. And we've got to realize something. I've got to realize something. That God is bringing us somewhere. And, I mean, it's certainly true in business. It's certainly true in, in, in anyone's personal life. It's also true in a spiritual sense. That we really do fail our way to victory. And every failure and every defeat... God's showing me something. God's teaching me something. I'm learning something. In Jesus' name, I'm learning something from this. And I don't repeat the same mistakes over and over again. That's something I cannot do. If I'm repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again, well, that's another problem entirely. But if I'm making a mistake, I fail God in some area, I bring it to God. I ask for repentance. I ask Him to forgive me. Give me strength to never do that again. I see that weakness in me now. Lord, deal with that. And God will deal with that in us. And He will, he will purge that out of our, 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 our person. And He'll replace that with something pleasing to Him. And so now I'm a little bit closer to where I want to be. And a situation will come up and I fail again. God reveals something else in me. You know what's amazing? It's amazing that when everything is going great, and that's where we all want to be. We want everything to be going great. Don't lie. You do. I do. I love it when there's plenty of money left over after the bills are paid. I love it when the gas tank is full and the car is just humming along smooth and and no rattles and no squeaks. I hate squeaks in a car. I can't stand it. And I never know where they're coming from. Never. I'm not a mechanic. I, I'm not mechanically inclined. I just, I hear it. And it's like it, the whole car is squeaking at one time. I can't, I can't trace it. But it bothers me. Now something's wrong. And now i got to take it to a professional who's going to charge a professional's price to get it fixed. But I, I got to because I can't do it. I have no clue what's going on here. <laughs> and so, uh, this, this whole process that uh, I want things to go well, I want things to be nice and smooth, is I like that because then there's, there's no, nothing is revealed in me that I don't want to see at that point. I can trust God all day long when there's nothing to trust God for, really. But it's in, the, it's in the tough times, the difficult situations, that things start coming up inside of me 
And I start seeing things in there that I don't want to know about. But I have to know. God has to show them to me so I can give them to Him so I can lay myself on an altar again. And God gets that stuff out of me. You see what I'm saying? We need those situations. And I don't know if I need to fail for God to reveal those things to me, but God does reveal those things to me in my failures. And thank God for that. God can turn those things around in my life if I repent and, and, and I want God to work that out and I keep moving forward in Him. God can fix all of those things. He can turn those around and make something good out of something that I ruined again. He did that with my life initially. My life was a dumpster fire held together by bailing wire and duct tape. I promise you that. There wasn't much holding it together at that point. Everyone looked at me and thought I was, I was cool as a cucumber. I was collected, had everything together, had every, knew what he was doing, knew what he was talking about. I didn't have a, one clue. I'd lay down at night and I'd just be like, I have no idea what I'm going to do here. Most people know the story of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States, generally uh, ranked just under George Washington in, in popularity. He was a very popular, not at the time, <laughs> a little bit divisive at the time, but history looks back on him very favorably. Uh, but his road to the presidency wasn't silky smooth, as it were. Just a rundown of his resume for the presidency. He lost his job in 1832. He was defeated for the state legislature in 1832. He failed in business in 1833. He was elected finally to the state legislature in 1834. His sweetheart died in 1835. He had a nervous breakdown in 1836. Defeated for speaker in 1838. Defeated for nomination for Congress in 1843. Elected to Congress in 1846. He lost the renomination for Congress in 1848. Rejected for the office of land officer in 1849. Defeated for U.S. Senate in 1854. Defeated for nomination for vice president in 1856. Again, he was defeated for the U.S. Senate in 1858. And then all of a sudden he was elected president in 1860. Wow. How many of us would have kept trying? <laughs> I don't know if I would have. That was, and then his presidency was the Civil War. He went through all of that just to be the president during one of the most tumultuous times our country has ever faced. <clears throat> but those failures taught him things. The perseverer in the midst of difficulty. You know, when... I don't know if this is true across the board. Sister DeMuth can correct me on this if I'm wrong. But uh, I think I have observed that most students, if they're very brilliant, if they're very smart, they, uh, they generally also don't have a very good work ethic, uh, certainly when it comes to homework. She's nodding yes. Okay. And the reason for that, I believe, is because they don't have to work. They can just get it done. And this is easy. What, what are you guys still doing it for? 
But then later on in life, when they do encounter a difficult situation, they don't know what to do. They have no clue. They're stumped. I can't do this on the first try. Give up. Go try something else that I can do on the first try. And so these things teach us very valuable lessons. Not only about how life works, but about who we are as people. What's inside here? In the Apostle Peter's life, when he started out, we see some good things about him. Jesus called Simon Peter to follow him. He just dropped his nets and followed him. Just like that. That's pretty cool. Simon Peter is the only, only disciple that got out of the boat and walked on the water to get to Jesus. No one else did that. No one else even wanted to. But he did. He wanted to get to Jesus. Simon Peter confirms that he will continue to follow Jesus after many others walked away from him and would no longer follow him. A bunch of pe- Jesus was starting to teach some hard stuff, and so a lot of people left. These are hard sayings. So he turns around to the twelve and says, Are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter is the one that said, where, where could we go? You have the words of life. So that's pretty cool. Simon Peter is the one who declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus turns on and said, And thou art Peter, the rock. Peter declares his allegiance to Jesus at the Passover. Though all others would forsake you, I'll not forsake you. I'll not deny you. And I don't believe he was lying. I think he was convinced. He was not going to. But it's the, the, the situation that he was in and, and what had just preceded that is very interesting to me. I mean, he, this was immediately following the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. People were, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. And Peter was walking right there with him. Yeah, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. No way I'm going to deny you. After the crucifixion, Jesus got, uh, I'm sorry, Peter got to the empty tomb second after John, but Peter's the one that went in. Discovered everything laid out all nice and neat. So there are some strengths to Simon Peter. There are some good qualities, some good characteristics that he possessed coming out of the gate. And so do you. So do you. However, as with every other person that's ever been born, he also had some bad. Peter becomes afraid of the storm on the water and takes his eyes off of Jesus. We're going to see this as kind of a recurring theme in Peter's life. Allowing the circumstances Peter found himself in to supersede his faith in Christ. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday. In this case, Peter gave or assigned more power to the storm than he did to Jesus to keep him afloat. And don't we do that ourselves? We find ourselves in the middle of a situation and... When things are going great, Jesus is everything. 
Jesus is the reason that, that things are going so good and I love Him and, and praise God. And then all of it goes away. And we find ourselves in the exact opposite situation. And Jesus isn't saying anything. Now what do we do? Now it's very tempting to start focusing on the situation. But we can't do that. We can't allow ourselves to do that. Our faith is dictated to us by what we find in Scripture, not by the situation we find ourselves in. Jesus rebukes Peter right after Peter declares he's the Messiah. Why? Because he doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Only a couple of verses after Peter gets the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, he goes and does this. That's so Peter-like. Far be it, Lord. We can't let this happen. Now, we're not entirely sure, I'm not entirely sure what Peter's motivations were here, but here's a couple possibilities that, that I came up with. One, Peter was concerned for his friend. Genuine concern. Didn't want him to die. Peter was, however, entirely ignorant of the plan and purpose of God, well-intentioned as he may have been. We've probably all had family or friends, certainly when we came into this initially, that well-meaning, well-intentioned, tried to save us from this cult. Try to save us from this. Go back to drinking. Go back to the club scene. Just go back to the way you were. You don't want to be involved with this. And I, I truly believe that they, they mean well. They think they're, they're doing us a favor. But they're not, are they? Why? Because they're ignorant of the plan and purpose of God in your life and in theirs. Well-intentioned as they may be, that doesn't supersede the will of God for our lives, which is, first and foremost, salvation. The other possibility is that Peter was, deep down, concerned for himself. Jesus was becoming very popular, and being one of his disciples carried some prestige. If public opinion were to turn against Jesus. Also, we have to consider the fact that he left everything to follow Jesus. What happens if Jesus dies? Something to consider. I'm just spitballing. I don't know which one is true. Could be something else entirely. But in any case, what we do know is he was not following the will of God here. And Jesus rebuked him for it. We're going to read later the opposite of this. Jesus' stance on these situations. Peter falls asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, either Peter was completely ignorant of Christ's struggles here. He didn't realize what this meant to Jesus. Or he just ultimately didn't care enough to stay awake. Now I understand you get, you get to a point where it doesn't matter what the situation is. Your body's just going to shut down. I had a, a friend of mine in Bible school. It was very coincidental. We both were going to church in North Carolina. 
And then, completely separate, we both ended up in the same class at Bible school. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, But he he was an interesting fellow. I'll say it like that. He had some quirks that I just... I didn't personally agree with, but that was him, and I did me, and it was good. It wasn't sinful. It was just different. In any case, uh, he was a prayer warrior, though. He prayed all the time. Uh, In fact, he'd pray so much that he would never sleep. He'd go for days, and he'd drive to work, come back, he'd pray, uh, and he would never sleep until his body just shut down. And that could be in class. That could be on the road. What's happened a few times, totalist car hit a telephone pole. He just fell asleep. We were like, dude, I appreciate the fact that you want to pray, but balance, man. Some balance is good. So in any case, uh, yeah, so at some point the body's just going to shut down. <laughs> I've seen it happen. <clears throat> But when someone calls a prayer meeting, you know, the, uh, the all-night prayer meeting used to be pretty popular back in the day. Uh, I don't think it's so popular anymore. And, I mean, there are a lot of reasons for that. Work schedules, family schedules, the way, the way things are today. It just, it's hard to schedule something like that. But no one wants to work all day, stay up all night, and then have to work the next day. That's hard to do. But when the need is great enough, such as in this case, if I'm facing an imminent need in my life, would I be willing to pray all night to see it met? I would be motivated to do that, and so would you. If you had a sick child, he's on his, he or she's on their deathbed, you're going to pray a little bit more urgently, a little bit more fervently, then you're going to pray for uh, a raise at work, which is nice, but certainly not necessary. So we see Peter doing that, falling asleep when Jesus so desperately needed someone to pray with him, to watch and pray. Peter attacks the servant of the high priest when Jesus is arrested again. Peter seems to be completely oblivious of the plan of God here. Peter responds with a very misplaced zeal and uses physical violence to try and stop them from taking Jesus. This has been ordained from the foundation of the world. There's nothing Peter can do to stop it. But he's ignorant. And then, of course, Peter denies Jesus three times. And I want to I focus on the account we read in John uh, to... To dig a little bit deeper into this. John chapter 18 verses 12 through 18 says this. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. And led him away to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he when he gave counsel, which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Meaning Jesus. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Most people, apparently not everyone, but just about overwhelming majority believe that another disciple was John. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. 
Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought in Peter. So now Peter's in too. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. So here we see that Peter initially ran away in the garden, but along with the other disciples, but later returns and follows Jesus, but kind of afar off. Initially, Peter was not able to enter into the palace of the high priest, but that other disciple gained him entry. Now, at this point, he could have followed Jesus all the way in. He really could have. But we, we see Peter hesitating to continue on. Why did he hesitate? Because someone challenged him. And that challenge came from, and this is going to sound sexist, maybe it is in today's terms, but back then, uh, nobody, Peter really shouldn't have given much account to what a maid said. Okay? Uh, It really shouldn't have mattered a whole lot to him. She was a servant. She was a maid that kept the door of the castle, the, the palace. And she's just in passing. It wasn't a, it was, hey. And immediately he responds, I'm not. Now, I've been in situations before where uh, someone asked me a question that I didn't want to answer. And that would have been difficult for me to answer honestly. And before I even knew what was going on, a lie came out. And as soon as it came out, I did this in Bible school. I did this to the, the principal of the school, Brother Grant. Now let's just go all the way with it. <clears throat> May as well. You guys know I'm not perfect anyway. Uh, Brother Grant asked me, I was, uh, I was using the GI Bill to, uh, to pay for the school. And that took care of everything. I didn't have to worry about anything. But there was going to be uh, one paycheck left over at the end. Well, I figured, well, I'll just take that at the beginning and then just pay the rest to the school. Because there was some stuff I wanted to get. And so Brother Grant saw me in the hallway, and uh, he's like, hey, um, did, uh, did you get that check from the VA yet? And before I could even think, I said, no. I'd already cast it. And as soon as I said it, I'm like, no, 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 no. You've got to make that right. But the longer it went on, the harder it was to make right. And eventually, just concluded, well, when you get it, let me know. And we'll apply it to your bill. And I left. And... I have never in my life been so convicted of sin. I went back to the dorm room and I could, I could literally feel a weight on me. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this at all. So I went right back and I told him, hey, Brother Grant, i got to speak with you just really quick, sir. And uh, so I spoke with him. I was like, I don't know why I said it. I, I said that. I did, I did cast the check. I can give you what's left, and I'll, I'll make up the difference somehow. And whatever you want to do with this, I'm, I'm at your mercy. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And all he said was, well, thanks, thanks for letting me know. 
and uh, don't worry about it. We'll just catch it up with the next check. And that was it. I was like, whoa. I thought he was going to expel me. I really did. I thought he was going to tell me, pack my stuff and leave. And I would have. What, what, what was I going to do? But uh, ever since then, I didn't have a problem with that anymore. I've told the truth ever since. Been very happy to do it, too. Even when it wasn't comfortable for me to do so. God taught me a lesson there. So, it's possible, having said all that, that the Apostle Peter just, no, I'm not. What did I say? Maybe. Or maybe he was afraid at that point. Because now Jesus wasn't at the top anymore. Jesus was now heading fast toward the bottom. He wasn't the prophet. He wasn't the the rabbi anymore. He was the criminal. He was the one on trial. So after that, Peter ends up standing with those that captured Jesus and warming himself with them. This is important. Peter's choice to remain with the enemies of Christ rather than follow Jesus into his trial led Peter to deny Jesus three times. When Jesus is leading you into a trial, folks, it's pretty easy to rationalize why I don't need to follow right now. It's pretty easy to come up with reasons why God doesn't want me to go through this. But He does. He does want you to go through that. Why? Because He loves you. And He wants you to be Christ-like. And there are some things in my life and in your lives that will not come out. Jesus said at one point, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Well, in our own spirits, there are some things that come not out except through test and trial. That's the only thing that's going to dislodge those things. And they need to be dislodged. Peter chose to not follow Jesus into the trial, but rather to stay right here and and, and get warm. Hanging out with the, the enemies of God. Who you choose to stand with is going to determine who you become. So make that choice wisely. You know, we always think we're going to get involved with a group and we're going to influence that group. We're going to influence them. That never happens. I don't know if I've seen it happen one time. Maybe it does. I've just not seen it. What I've seen 100% is that that group begins to influence the individual. I've read a couple things from uh, new politicians, and they're running, you know, they're, they're kind of the outside guy or girl, and they go to, to Congress, and they're going to change the system. They're going to fix things, and they, they mean to. I mean, they have a good attitude, they have the, the right ideas, but before too much longer, now they're wrapped up in the system. I don't know how many times I've seen that. I've read about lawyers. They go in because they become a lawyer because I want to see justice served. I, I, I believe in the system. You talk to them ten years later, they're all disillusioned and cynical and they're just trying to make a buck. Now, that doesn't happen 100% of the time, but 
uh, it seems to be the majority of the time. So, we need to choose wisely who we're going to stand with. Our friends. Who we choose to be our friends is very important, church. Now, we should, we need to have friends out in the world. Okay, we need to be influencing people in the world. We need to be making friends. That's the best way to make contact with people. Jesus loves them too. And so, having a relationship with someone is, it presents a clearer picture to the individual. In any case, uh, so I'm not saying don't have any friends outside of church, but if you're always spending 100% of your time with people who are not in church, you will become influenced by that group. So I'm just, I'm warning us pick that group carefully, pick it wisely. Is that group going to bring me closer to God or farther away from God? If it's going to bring me farther away from God, then maybe I should at least limit my time with them. That's okay. Go have coffee with them once a week. Cool. Do what you can to, to testify, tell them how great church was, what God's doing in your life. Go on with the rest of your day. Peter made a very poor choice here. Peter's fear of persecution, fear of public opinion turned against him, fear of being thrown in prison himself, fear of losing everything he had gained by following Jesus, causes him to turn away. And we see (laughs) Peter was more concerned with his physical discomfort than he was at the plight of Jesus. He went and warmed himself. This is most certainly a character flaw that is being revealed right now. Now, please understand, in my dissection of this account of Peter's life, I'm not judging him. We've all found ourselves in similar situations, haven't we? John 18, 25-27 continues, Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, therefore, unto him, Art thou not also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. <coughs> one of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. One account said he, he cursed and swore and said, I know not the man. Another account says that Jesus turned and looked at him. And the picture I get in my mind is their eyes locked as the the rooster was crowing. And he knew. He knew. Absolutely. So here we see the story picks back up uh, with Peter warming himself with those who captured Jesus. He continues to to deny that he was with Jesus. He's doing it because of who he decided to stand with. He's certainly not bold enough and courageous enough at this point in his life to take a stand against the public opinion. He's weak right now. So he will not take a stand. He knows what's right. He knows he's lying. He knows Jesus is the Messiah. God Himself revealed it to him. 
He knows this. But once you do the first lie, it's a little bit easier to do the second. And a little bit easier again to do the third. And once you lie, it requires more lies to conceal the fact that you lied. In a more general statement, once you sin, it requires more sins to cover up the first sins. Peter seems very happy and content to serve Jesus when he was popular. Everyone from all over Israel had heard of Jesus. Jesus was celebrated as the great prophet and rabbi. He was even worshipped during his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And Peter got to got to bask in that a little bit. He was the spokesperson. He was the head guy. Now that Jesus was being accused of crimes, Peter's zeal was quickly cooling off. We cannot be content to serve Jesus only as long as it benefits us. We must serve Him during times of blessing as well as during times of persecution. And when we're in times of blessing, we must continue to make proper and correct decisions that will put us in good stead when the difficult times do come again. Because I promise you, just like the trial passes, so does the blessing. This too shall come to pass. The blessing passes just like the trials pass. Don't worry about that. That doesn't stay either. So when that day comes, we need to have made proper and right decisions so that when the difficult times do come, our position is strong. We're in good standing. I haven't made poor decisions like not praying right now because I don't need Jesus right now. Then when everything blows up in your face, you're scrambling trying to catch up. By your and my own standards, should Jesus come running back and helping us when we've ignored Him for the past two, three months? He does. He's happy to do that. But by our standards, no way. Someone been ignoring me for three months and I desperately needed his help. Now I got my situation taken care of and now he's calling me up desperately needing some help. What's, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I wish I had a rotary phone so I could bam! Really loud. Right? Isn't that the first thought that comes to mind? That's not the Christian thought. That's not the Christ-like thought. But it flashes in there. But we expect Jesus to do that all the time. We expect Him to do Just come running whenever I need Him. I don't need you now. But when I do need you, I know who to call. I don't know if you're going to enjoy heaven as much as some of us are. If that's your attitude down here. Because in heaven, we're going to be fellowshipping with Him all the time. 
And I believe that if we have a proper understanding and perspective of the whole situation, that ought to excite us. There ought to be a longing in our our hearts, our spirits for that. But down here we're just, I'm busy. I, I got stuff to do. How long do I have to pray? <clears throat> Let's get this over with. If we're thinking like that, that ought to be a red flag in your spirit. So, who who we decide to stand with, who or what we decide to trust, how we decide to respond to blessing as well as persecution is going to determine how far we go in Christ. Peter leads the other disciples back to their old lives after the death and burial of Jesus. The typical pattern of the backslider. Jesus is dead. Everyone's running for their lives. Jesus said, I go a-fishing. The others said, we will too then. Still leading, still influencing, just the wrong way. So we see some good in Peter. We also see some bad, just like in us. Now let's look at, uh, conversely at the example of Jesus during these situations. Jesus rebukes Peter right after Peter's declaration of Jesus as the Christ. Why? Because Jesus knew the plan of God and had the will to follow that all the way through. Jesus knew what was coming. He understood exactly what it meant to follow the will of God. And he could have went along with Peter. Yeah, why do I have to do this? Maybe there's another way. There's always another way. The only way is the will of God. Peter, through ignorance or worse selfishness, sought to disrupt the will of God, and Jesus was having none of it, even though he knew the personal cost, even though he knew it was death by crucifixion. He wasn't going to have any disruption in the will or plan of God. So he rebuked him. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. Jesus in the garden. Jesus wasn't falling asleep. Jesus was praying. Praying great drops of blood. Such was his fervor and his earnestness in prayer. All the while, Peter and the other two were asleep. And then he comes back finally and says, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, we use that line almost like a punchline. We use that kind of like a a little giggle. Yeah, I'm going to do this. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. He, 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 ha, ha. But folks, every time you allow your flesh to dictate to you what the will of God is, it's going to lead you astray. The flesh should never, ever be in charge of us. It was in charge before salvation. Before salvation, the flesh is in charge. And all of our internal and external resources go towards satisfying the desires of the flesh. Talk to any drug addict. 
if you don't believe me. Their entire life, all all of their thoughts are wrapped up, how am I going to get my next fix? Am I going to have to steal something? Am I going to have to sell my body? What am I going to have to do? And they'll do it. Because the flesh demands it. We are slaves to this flesh until God breaks that at salvation. And now the Spirit is in charge. And the Spirit needs to remain in charge. We cannot allow our flesh to dictate. Now, I'm not saying don't eat. You know, you're, you feel hungry. Well, I'm not going to feed you. <clears throat> you don't tell me what to do. I'm not saying that. We've got to eat to survive. Okay? You've got to drink water when you're thirsty. That's okay. But, if God has told you to go on a fast and you get hungry, that's a good time to say, no, I'll feed you in a little bit, but not now. I'm in charge. The Spirit of God is in charge. Plus, wants to look at something you know you're not supposed to look at? No. You don't have to do that. You have a choice. You have the power to resist. You have the power to choose the will of God because of the Spirit of God in us. Okay? The flesh should never be in charge. Don't let it tell you what to do. Let the Spirit of God tell you what to do. Let the Word of God tell you what to do. But never let the flesh tell you what to do. The flesh needs to be subjected to the Spirit at all times. Again, uh, here it seems like uh, Peter was entirely ignorant of what was really going on. Jesus at trial. If you look at the account, them questioning. Jesus should have been the one rattled and on the defensive. But it was the opposite. He was, compl- he was cool as a cucumber. He was calm. He was collected. His arguments were concise and brilliant, as usual. Don't ever argue against God, folks. Don't debate God. Well, actually, yeah, go ahead. Debate God. <laughs> and let me watch. It'll be fun for me. He is so much more brilliant than any one of us. I love the argument that uh, he gave the uh, taxes. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And his answer was so, like, multitudes of levels of, of brilliant. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. Like, wow. After that, they durst not ask, answer, ask him a word. They stopped talking after that. He was not afraid, but he was still determined to see the will of God completed. In conclusion, so what can we learn from Peter's life? Don't get too excited, it's a long conclusion. <coughs> What can we we learn from Peter's life? We cannot be ignorant of the will of God in our lives or in the lives of others. We cannot be ignorant of God's will. We've got to know what the will of God is for us, first and foremost. But we should be aware of the will of God in, in my spouse's life, in my children's life. 
I need to be aware of those things, that God has a plan for them too. God has a plan for each of you. And we can't be ignorant of that. We cannot be ruled by fear and circumstances. We must be ruled by faith in God and in His Word. The Spirit of God and and Him only should be the one leading us, guiding us into all truth. We must pick our friends and those we associate with very carefully, understanding they are who we will ultimately become. We must purpose in our hearts to serve the Lord Jesus, no matter the circumstance, whether in blessing or in persecution. I've said it before, I dare say again that in some situations, blessing, that's harder to serve God in than it is in times of persecution or trial. Things become quite a bit clearer, at least in, from my perspective. Things are quite a bit clearer when I'm in a tough time. I realize that I need God. You know, some of my best prayer times have been when I was really sick. When I was physically weak. In other words, uh, uh, a man cold. (coughs) Uh, You men, you know what I'm talking about. (coughs) When I get a man cold, and I'm really weak, and I think I'm about to die, and I bring my children, and I anoint them, and I prophesy over them, pray the blessing on them, (coughs) because I'm about to pass the mortal coil. (laughs) it's in those times that I feel very close to God and and I feel like I can hear him clearer and so you know when things are going great I I pray and I love praying in those times as well and I and I rejoice and I thank him and and, uh, all of that but he just in general, he just doesn't seem as close. He just doesn't seem as, as, as uh, I don't want to say real, but he, he seems so much right there in those times. And, and I, I have come to appreciate that. I have really come to, to when, when hard times and difficult times come, I still don't like the difficult times, but I do enjoy my times with Jesus in the difficult times. And I have uh, learned to look forward to that. That Jesus is so much, seems, feels so much closer and, and so much more, uh, uh, I don't know, every word is wrong. <clears throat> but I look forward to those times now. Not the hard times, but the times with Jesus. We've got to purpose in our hearts to serve the Lord Jesus no matter the circumstance. Blessing or persecution. And that's a decision we need to make before the persecution comes, uh, by the way. Because at that time, it's going to be too late. You're going to do like Peter. Nope. I don't know him. Whereas if you've already made up your mind, you've already decided that in your heart, you've settled that, the right answer is going to come out. Absolutely, I'm a servant of Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. We've got to learn to put God first, to put the will of God first and foremost in our lives, even at the expense of our wants or even our own legitimate needs. Folks, again, God knows what your needs are. A lot of times our legitimate needs really aren't legitimate needs. We think they are. Our heart tells us, I just, I need this right now. I just need a, a pound of chocolate right now. 
because that's what I need. And if I get that pound of chocolate, I'm good. I'm going to be good. I don't know. I, I like a little bit, but yeah. <coughs> anyway, um, that, that may not be a legitimate need. God knows what your legitimate needs are. And if he is asking you to suspend that, don't worry. He will meet that legitimate need. Take care of his business. Take care of it. God, I don't have money for gas. Well, I want you to go there anyway. God knows what you have in the bank. God knows what you don't have in the bank. He knows how much gas you have. He knows what you got. you're going to have to use the car for the rest of the week. He knows all of that. I know you don't think he does, but he does. <clears throat> what can we learn from the life of Jesus other than everything we ever need? Don't worry, the conclusion isn't that long. Just a few points. Jesus understood the will of God and would let nothing deter him from accomplishing it. Again, he knew what the cost was going to be personally. But he would let nothing deter him at all. Not one point. He prayed to God in the garden, If this can pass from me, I'll take it. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was asking, as we can ask, Lord, you're wanting me to do this. You're wanting me to say that. You're wanting me to go here. Asking you to move to Wisconsin. God bless you guys. (laughs) Is there somewhere else we can go, God? Is there any other way that this can happen? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's got to be his will. And nothing, once we understand the will of God, we need to have our minds fixed Nothing can deter us from accomplishing that, accomplishing that in our lives. Nothing can steer us off course. Our eyes are fixed. They're focused on that. Accomplishing the will of God in our lives. God, uh, Jesus gave God's will the preeminence in his life, even over his own will. Jesus was resolute and composed when facing death by crucifixion because he understood he was there by God's design. Why do you think God was so collected? Why was Jesus so so calm? Because he knew he was there in the perfect will of God. He was right. He was right in the middle of God's will. And he knew what was going to be accomplished on the other side. That you and I would come to salvation. That he would build a relationship with each and every one of you. He saw that. It says in Hebrews that he endured the cross and despised the shame. Of the cross. Despite all of Peter's shortcomings, Jesus restored Peter and he became the leader of the church. God used him to open up this new covenant to the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. And now I'm closing. In our own lives, we all have great things about us. God has given each of you gifts and talents and abilities. Great things that He wants to do in and through you. But we also have failings as human beings, as fallen creatures. 
We're still surrounded in this fallen flesh. We live in a sinful world. We have the enemy doing what he does. We have all of that against us. But we have Jesus Christ for us. And when we do fail, and when we do let him down, it still breaks my heart. God is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when we go to Him, He takes care of it. He shows me in myself my failings. He shows me the weak areas. He shows me uh, areas that He wants to remove, shore up. And don't we so desperately want that? Don't we want to be Christ-like? So despite all of our shortcomings, despite our failings, no matter who we are, no matter where we're starting from, Jesus can and will work through you mightily if you apply these lessons from the Apostle Peter. Amen. Let's all stand. And let's all come forward. And let's spend some time with Jesus at the altar today. We have a tendency to go one of two ways. We're either going to minimize our own failings and and maximize the failings in those around us. And some people actually do the exact opposite. They'll magnify their own failings and minimize the fact that other people have failings too. But the fact of the matter is we are all of us right about the same. We all of us have good points, and we all have weaknesses that Jesus can help us overcome. Amen. And no matter where we are in God, if this is our very first service, if this is our billionth service, we're still moving forward in God. None of us have arrived. So that means God is still working in every one of us. His perfect will. Amen. The closer we get to God, the more we conform to His image, the more He'll be able to do in us and through us. The more powerfully He'll be able to use us. Uh, The more He'll be able to trust us with. Revelation, service, authority. I have purpose in my own life that I want as much of God
that is the prayer of all of us today. We want to see the will of God accomplished in our own lives. Now, I doubt that any of us are going to be led to Calvary, to a cross, to fulfill the will of God for us. I doubt that's ever going to happen to any one of us. But, the will of God could be accomplished in our lives at great personal cost. At what point is the price too high? At what point does the cost become too great? The answer is that the cost is always ridiculously low. The problem is we fail to value the will of God. than anything I could possibly sacrifice here on earth. We would be able to say with Paul, these afflictions which are but for a moment work upon us a far more exceeding and eternal light and glory. His afflictions were not light by any any measure, but compared to what he received from God, they were very light. He esteemed them God to help you move forward in that, whatever that may be. If He's revealed a weakness in you, ask Him to remove that weakness, correct it, fix it, replace it with something pleasing to Him. And if you're perfect here today, just worship God. Amen. Let's call out to God. Lord Jesus, so thankful for you. You are an awesome God, worthy of worship, worthy of all praise. The example that we've seen in the Apostle Peter is one that we can all relate to. You have given all of us gifts and talents and abilities, strengths, according to our personality and, and our upbringing, our environment, experience. We also have certain failings, weaknesses from personality, upbringing, culture, experience. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in our lives, that you would be strong in us, that you would show us, reveal unto us these weaknesses as we walk closer to you, as we strive to become more like you. Reveal these weaknesses to us as you say, 
upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. We pray that these would be corrected, that they'd be fixed, that they'd be transformed into a strength. That you would be strong in our weakness, the Most High. I pray, Lord Jesus, for your people here today, those uh, our visitors, those joining us online, everybody within the sound of my voice, I pray your hand of blessing upon them now, that you would speak to them, that you would minister to them according to your perfect will. Any questions they have, Lord, that you would graciously answer. Help us to know the perfect will of God for our lives. Help us to know of a surety and to be persuaded, to be convinced that we are in the perfect will and plan of God. And if not, Lord, that you would get us there that you would get us there, that you would order our steps aright. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, O God, minister to them now. Speak to them. Reveal your will. Any weaknesses, reveal those. Grant unto us, Lord, as, a, as the body of Christ, a spirit of unity. Help us to be affixed to the perfect will of God. Not just individually, although definitely individually, but also corporately, as a church body. That we would bind together as one. That our eyes would be affixed to the will of God for this church body. Hallelujah, Jesus. We desire you, Lord Jesus. We desire the presence of God in our lives. We desire that you would move and speak through us. That we would be positioned properly to be used mightily of you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.